It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, Sunny here in Miami and excited about this discussion with Leah Garcia. She is the the first female president over at Mercy for Animals. And, you know, if you haven't heard of Mercy for Animals, they've been around for quite some time now. I don't know, 20 years or something like that. And personally, um, you know, I, I went, you know, vegetarian myself, my wife and I, about six or seven years ago um, for a number of reasons. And so we've been following groups like Mercy for Animals have they, have they, as they grow and continue to have bigger, bigger impact. And their impact has been quite substantial, and their list of accomplishments are as well. They are um, a group that is fighting for, you know, animals rights, but it's also a mission to not just protect the animals, but it is a fight for uh, stopping, you know, pollution of water, deforestation. There's a, a number of things that stem from it, but it's also a major marketplace and trend for the future to be aware of. So people playing in the entrepreneurial space or anybody in the social impact space that is trying to have an impact, there's a lot of opportunity there. So we're going to talk about that today as well. Uh, Leah has quite an extensive background. She, um, I think she worked for, um, what's the company, uh, the World Society for the Protection of Animals, and, and she had like a $17 million budget, and she managed, you know, uh, a, like work in over 14 countries, um, managing 80 staff members. So she has a substantial experience. She's also on the advisory board for uh, Encompass and Seattle Food Tech, and uh, they're raising, their whole family is actually vegan. Um, <clears throat> so it's an interesting conversation, and they're doing really tough work, uh, but I think it's uh, fascinating to see how they're making uh, these things come to life and the achievements that they have so far. So we're going to talk to her about that stuff. Um, and don't forget the cover story. The cover story of issue 21 is with Milo Runkle. He's actually the founder of Mercy for Animals, and he's really going to talk about how he started this and the steps he had to take to really build this brand. So some really important and fascinating entrepreneurial insights around his strategies and insights and lessons learned. So a lot of good stuff, guys. Keep an eye out for issue 21, and uh, that is out as of November 15th. All right, guys, we're going to get started in just a second. Don't forget to stop by the App Store. Leave us a five-star review for the magazine, for the podcast. These things are so powerful and helpful, and we appreciate everybody's support. Uh, So if you could find a few minutes uh, to do that, that would be really awesome. Um, And then last but not least, guys, we have opened up the early interest list for Captivate. So we're currently in session as of now uh, with the beta round of our Captivate program. Super exciting stuff. Loving the energy and engagement. We got a whole team of people that signed up. And right now the doors are open. Um, We're going to probably kick off another uh, round starting around uh, January. The doors will open again. But right now you can get on the list so that you're notified and make sure you get the the, uh, lowest price possible which is going to be in January. The actual program will kick off in March. All right, guys, we're going to get going here. That's it. Um, appreciate it. Let's dive into this conversation with Leah. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Leah, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today? 
I am great. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm feeling the energy and I'm feeling good myself. Got the Miami sun hitting me and um, I'm ready to talk about what's going on with Mercy for Animals. But first and foremost, I really want to know what brought you to Mercy for Animals. Well, that's a great question. Um, I have cared about this issue since I was little, honestly. Um, and I um, grew up in Florida and had these ducks in my backyard, and they are my—they were my introduction to animals. Have personalities. They have families. They care about each other. They have dramas and heartache, just like we do. And I would say because of them, I always had an affinity uh, towards farmed animals. And. As I went down my own path, uh, I chose to study zoology, which is the study of animals, and then get a master's degree in sustainable development. And then I, and, and at that stage, I didn't really know that animal rights was a career that you could do. Uh, I didn't realize this was something you could work on and have a job in, which a lot of people didn't and don't oh, still. No. Um, and um, I started applying for environmental jobs and I was looking, I was living in London at the time and I was looked in the newspaper and there was, this is back in the day when you looked in the newspaper and on Wednesday <laughs> in the Guardian, there was advertisements for um, kind of uh, justice, social justice sorts of jobs every Wednesday. And I saw this advertisement for an organization called Compassion and World Farming and they worked on ending factory farming and I just felt like, you know, you have that moment where it was like this, this like hallelujah, like the angels are singing all around you or some spiritual <laughs> moment that was that like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, and I got the job and I never looked back. And I have always my first job basically after my master's degree was working to stop factory farming and oh and the God. exploitation of farmed animals. So. Um, I have done that in various ways and I worked in London for 10 years. Then I was asked to open a, a U.S. office. I founded Compassion World Farming USA in the United States and I grew that office uh, and we focused and did some really great campaigns around uh, broiler chickens, which are the most farmed animal, land farmed animal in the world. So 90% of all farmed animals are just meat chickens, chickens raised for meat. Um, and after eight years of doing that in Georgia, uh, running the national office, and, uh, I was approached by Mercy for Animals and they, they, uh, the board approached me and said, you know, we, we really love what you're doing. Would you come do it here? And it was a, a great honor for me to be able to take up that um, that opportunity, I felt so excited because Mercy for Animals is an organization I have been work I had been working with I've been working with over the last decade uh, because of our works our work really uh, was in the same area so we're working to uh, on factory ending factory farming um, and. Uh, it's a large organization. It's an organization that has, uh, for me, global out global impact where I want to have global impact, especially uh, in the countries where factory farming is growing fastest and biggest. So that's Mexico, China, India, and Brazil. Um, and I was, you know, I didn't really have to think very much about it. It was something I really wanted to do. So, and I'm yeah. the first female president. So that also was a great opportunity for Girl me to power. show. Yeah. To <laughs> leadership and modeling for, um, you know, the, the animal rights movement is about uh, 70 to 80% uh, women mm. um, in terms of the employees. So it was, but very few um, female leaders uh, until recently. And that's shifting very, very quickly. So all in all, it was just this 
kind of magical <laughs> moments. And I'm so proud and honored to do the job. Wow. Well, that's pretty awesome. So you, you've had a lifelong, um, you know, I guess, career of the animal space. I mean, you haven't done anything else. That's been your whole passion and focus. That is true. Yeah. I was, um, I was canvassing actually this weekend for um, a political candidate here in Georgia. And the person said to me, said, have you ever thought about running for office? And I said, no, I just, I really just want to end. My life is for, is about ending factory farming. That's what I want to do. That's Uh, it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think about that stuff too, though. It's like, well, is getting it like one, I kind of feel like you need to be a psychopath to get into politics. (laughs) Like if you're going to win in politics, you end up having to either have, the ability to create a movement like Bernie Sanders, who's nuts. And then you got to have the, or you have to have the ability to play as dirty as everybody else. Cause everybody yeah. plays dirty and you know, you don't want to get sucked down to that. But then it's like, if you don't and all the people who are willing to, it's like, then you just have all these evil people in office and it's, just, it's crazy. So I don't know wherever the power comes in, but I yeah. love what mercy for animals is doing. And I think, um, you know, God, I see factory farming, um, yeah, I mean, the first time, I think a lot of people don't want to allow themselves to understand the space because, um, you know, we all tell ourselves stories, right? And they're based mm-hmm. on years of conditioning of what we believe and what, what is right and what is wrong and how things should be. And, you know, you got to have this certain level of protein, which, you know, we actually mm-hmm. all have more protein than we ever need. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're a bodybuilder competing, right? So, so many um, worldviews, like old conditioned worldviews that are very, very hard to break. Um, so yeah. I guess I'm curious, you know, what are some of the steps from a business standpoint that Mercy for Animals, um, and even just yourself through your experience, are taking to address those worldviews and help people come to conclusion about their role in changing these terrible um, catastrophes that are taking place? Yeah, I think, um, so I think that uh, the organization, you know, was started almost 20 years ago, Mercy for Animals, and in in our early years, most of what we did was almost um, you know, going into farms uh, and exposing what was happening and bringing those images out into the world and having people really face what is actually happening in our agricultural system, our food system. And there, there was no need to dramatize that. The images themselves are so horrific that if you see them, you think, I can't, I can't, this can't be true. You know, this is, this seems dramatic, but it's not, it's the reality. Right. And that continues to be a core part of our organization. At our core, organizationally, first and foremost, we're here for the animals. Uh, but the, the thing about factory farming is it reaches its tentacles into all aspects of life in a negative way. And because of that, we have all these tools in the toolbox that we can use to deconstruct it, to get rid of it. And organizationally, we're really beginning to open up that toolbox and use all those tools. So our ambition, if we're really going to end factory farming because we really see it as a root kind of cause of so many evils in the world, we have to be prepared to not just talk about it from an animal rights perspective, but also because it's something that affects uh, communities and people of color disproportionately. It affects uh, our health across the nation, across the world, causing things like you know cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancers. Very clear, like documentation. I mean, for example, all the processed meats have been listed 
by the World Health Organization on the same level as, as, as it's, a, it's a carcinogen now. So yep. it's the same level as cigarettes. And so there's a health component. Um, there's also this sort of environmental damage that's being hap- that's happening. And uh, for example, so I'm 40 and in my lifetime, in 40 years, 50% of the number of animals have disappeared. 50% of our wildlife has disappeared. And a lot of it can be linked to the destruction of habitat. And a lot of that can be linked to land being used to feed farmed animals in factory farms rather than directly to ourselves. So there's the environmental component. Um, and, you know, there's, it's unsustainable as well. And so we have all this, we have a limited amount of arable land on the planet and it's running out. It's literally running out. It's like a math problem. You can just kind of plug it into a computer and go, how long until we run out of land that can grow food for us? And there was a publication that came out in the UK that said that there were only 60 harvests left. So 60 years, essentially, until that land is no longer usable for raising food. We're really at almost, we are at a crisis moment. And factory farming is a, is a, is a, this issue is a tractable problem. We can solve it. And so whenever I think of business opportunities or market kind of based solutions, which I know a lot of these, the listeners to this podcast will be interested in too, you think like big problem, solvable problem this sounds like a great business opportunity to me. And another aspect of that is the plant-based market, which is the alternative of eating animals, is growing very rapidly. It's growing faster than factory farmed products are growing. So it's last year we saw um, upward of a 10% growth in that in that market, and it continues to grow. And, and when you look ahead in your crystal ball of like, what are the risks and the factors, there's all these risks associated with factory farming, whether it be like food poisoning or land running out or, you know, exposés on the cruelty. And then you look at the plant-based market and you're like, uh, no risks. There's no risk. <laughs> it's yeah. all good. Well, and you have what, water pollution, right? I mean, factory right. farming runoff, water pollution, the deforestation, it creates monocultures, lack of biodiversity, which all human health needs. I mean, it's, it's, and I get passionate about this, so don't mind me, but like I, I have literally read books about palm oil and deforestation and all these things, and it's incredible. I think it's like 80% of you know Brazil's rainforest has actually been um, cut down for you know animal agriculture. That's right, and I and and what's you know if. If you can't get your head around those figures, which is difficult, it truly is. You can think of like iconic, like iconic species, for example, that are disappearing distinctly because of our eating of animals. So, for example, the jaguar in Brazil, as you just mentioned, is on the brink of extinction. So, I have three kids, and they probably, by the time they're adults, jaguars won't exist, and that is horrible. And the reason it's it's happening is because we're clearing away their habitat to feed factory farmed animals, to feed animals so we can eat the animals. It doesn't make any sense. And the same is happening with the palm oil, for example. So Mm -hmm. Sumatran elephants, as an example, are nearly extinct. And that's because palm oil is being cut away. And the kernel of the palm oil, many people don't know this, is a kind of protein that's used in factory farmed feed. So there's that connection there too. And and you can go and look at penguins, for example, in, in Penguins, their fish, are, the fish that they eat are disappearing. Why? Because we're taking the fish from the ocean and we're feeding them to other fish in farmed fish, you know, <laughs> environments. And it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And it's yeah. almost as if we need to, like, shake everybody and go, let's start over. Would we ever choose this system? No, this doesn't make any sense. It's not... 
the correct path. We chose it by mistake. We need to have a fresh start. And I feel that it's it's really starting to accelerate the realization that the plant-based market is a huge opportunity, not just monetarily, but to save the planet. It really is. It's a it's our kind of last it's our it's our it's the last the opportunity last yeah. yeah like that we have and and it's but it's a great one because it can taste good you can make money and you can save the planet like win 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 great well, here's what happens too is you know you get into these conversations and I, I think one for anybody listening this space is a huge opportunity uh, like Leah was just saying you know there is so much that has to be done uh, depending on what your skills are they can certainly be applied to a space like this so if you want to uh, help improve the lives of animals or help improve the lives of people or protect the environment, you could do it all in one fell swoop by addressing the animal space when it comes to this. And, you know, it, 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 the thing that drives me crazy is when, you know, you have something, a species, like you said, um, you know, you got orangutans, elephants, all these things. They've been around for how long? So long. And all of a sudden now they're disappearing. And the comment some people have is, well, so what? So what if they disappear? And I'm like, well, I think you need to go back to science class because there is this whole ecosystem thing that gets thrown out of whack. Um, and I don't know if it's bad or not, but they did that study when they, they took wolves out of Yellowstone. And mm -hmm. it's like adding them back. It literally changed the levels of like the water and the rivers. And, and it had this huge like butterfly effect of like everything that impacted in the ecosystem. So it's super fragile and super sensitive. Yeah. And I mean, apart from the like pragmatic, logical, like um, almost egocentric perspective, like our environment will go out of whack. I don't want to live in a world where, you know, there aren't these awe inspiring animals in it. And, of and, and I don't want, you know, future generations to look back and say they were so selfish. They didn't think about this, the planet that we share with so many other species, they just thought of themselves. And mm. it, we, we can't predict the consequences. There certainly will be consequences of, of the way we're behaving and the disappearance of wildlife. Um, as I said, 50% of wildlife have disappeared in the last 40 years. So rapid, so many animals. Um, and I, I think that for me, the kind of reason I'm so driven and motivated and I want to really drive Mercy for Animals to lead in this area is because it's a very solvable problem. All we have to do is have this very strong plant-based market take over, mm -hmm. and we need to support that. People will make money, so you're not going to put, you know, a company can go, and we have real examples of this happening. So, for example, Purdue Farms. Purdue Farms is the sixth largest chicken company in the United States, yeah. um, and they went from, so I, I worked with a, a whistleblower farmer of theirs who we brought video cameras into the farm. We exposed, they were calling their chicken humanely raised. We exposed that to the mm, farmer, and yeah. Craig Watts, and it created a viral video. There's a million people viewed the video in just a 24-hour period. Uh, and it really caused uh, a, a wake-up call, I think. And Purdue initially didn't want to speak to us, but then after about a year, they started having conversation, and I was able to sit down with uh, with the leadership there and talk to them about why the way they were raising chickens, they could not call it humanely raised, and they, they needed to stop 
uh, calling it that. And they eventually did take the label off and they started to implement some systems that would improve or reduce the suffering of the animals, I will say, improve, reduce the suffering of the animals on the farm doing. Um, but what they also did, I started to also talk to them from this perspective of the environmental perspective, the sustainability, the way the whole market, you know, that millennials are demanding more alternative proteins. Yeah. This is a growth area. Do they want to be, you know, do they want to have, as as, as the CEO of, of Tyson said, a Kodak moment? They don't want to have a Kodak moment where you put out of business by these new technologies. Yes. And um, Purdue, to its credit, this this uh, past year, they said, we're going to start a plant-based line. And because they recognize the opportunity and the shift, you know, and they are now, the sixth biggest chicken company is starting their own plant-based line of protein. Yeah, And that's the trajectory of the business opportunity, where we, we don't just go head-to-head with the meat industry, but we take them on a journey. And in that During that process of dialogue with the meat industry, you paint a picture of the future and the opportunity, the business opportunity that lies. And for me, I think that's really going to be a really big focus for us as we move forward is really supporting and accelerating the plant-based market and those solutions. Yeah, no, I love that. And so I see two things you guys are doing, which is one, uh, consumer-based education and exposure to certain realities, right? We need to know, first and foremost, what's going on before we can actually care about it. And then you have collaboration with these larger companies, which obviously have a very big impact. And if they are going to lose their business, which they've invested so much into, they're going to resist the change. But if they see an opportunity to lean in, like you mentioned Kodak. That's a classic story of how these guys totally tanked um, because they wouldn't lean into the digital space with their cameras. So I love hearing what you're saying with Purdue. Um, They need to lean into that and there's nothing wrong with it. Maybe they have the resources to do it better than anyone else. I think that actually is is true. And and I know that's true. So some of the kind of limiting reagents of the plant-based market really accelerating are just basic machinery cost issues and how much you'd have to invest in these massive machines that create the nuggets and the fillets and the, you know, these things of our world that we take for granted, but they actually are million dollar machines that you know, create the nugget shaped nugget and a high pressured machine that does that. Uh, but Purdue has those already and many of them, you know, right. many millions of dollars of them. And if we can get those machines to be producing plant-based nuggets instead of meat, animal meat nuggets, then great. And we've, you know, really done a great service there for animals. And, you know, I think a lot of people would perhaps wonder, like, how can you work with the meat industry? But I think they're exactly who we need to work with. And at the end of the day, I I feel those companies really care most about the bottom line, you know, their shareholders or their private investors. Absolutely. And if we come at it from that perspective and be problem solvers and construct and come with constructive solutions, uh, I think we're going to be a lot, we're going to accelerate change and we're going to get to where we're trying to get to much faster instead of working against them, work with them. 
I love, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I love to hear that you guys are having those conversations. It doesn't have to be a, a battle. It's just a conversation. Like where are they coming from? What are the challenges? We understand you have old school mindsets on profit first, but, um, you know what? The world is changing. And that's obviously what change creator is all about. Like we're leaning into how we approach business and the mindset that goes into all the decision-making because it has to change. Like we can't keep doing the same thing. Um, and I want to make a comment because we talk about these big companies. Sure. They, have the resources but you know in my my philosophy the bigger the ship uh, the harder it is to make a turn right it's very slow um so hey entrepreneurs listening right now don't be discouraged it doesn't mean that only tyson and purdue can can jump into the space there are entrepreneurs i forget the name of the company for like just mayo and some of these mm-hmm. others that are smaller i only buy just mayo and it's even better than the other mayo. Um, yeah but and the, just mayo isn't a small company it's a billion dollar company it's grown now. absolutely i mean I mean, you know, but they started somewhere, right? It was, I forget the guy's name now. It's been a while. Josh Tetrick. Yes, yeah. Josh Tetrick, right. He started with, he's doing the eggs, the uh, mayo and stuff like that. Um, but my point is that these entrepreneurs, when you're an entrepreneur and you have a smaller team, you're more innovative, you take bigger risks than a large company, and you're nimble to uh, uh, pivot and adapt to change. So this is a great opportunity for people to get involved in the space um, and establish a foothold. Well, there's actually a whole so organization dedicated to supporting entrepreneurs in this space. It's called Good Food Institute, okay. and I don't know if you've heard of it before, but wow. it's worth looking listeners looking into. So, uh, Mercy for Animals actually uh, started with gave the initial investment to start Good Food Institute off. So mm-hmm. we were kind of a founding partner of Good Food Institute, um, and it's run by Bruce Friedrich, who's brilliant, and. The purpose of that organization is really a business uh, slanted organization that really just looks at how to support a plant-based market. That's their full sole focus. They have um, a whole section of the organization dedicated to helping entrepreneurs link to uh, funders and investors uh, and providing resources to help them get off the ground. And so if entrepreneurs are interested in this space, Good Food Institute is is a place where you can you can connect with investors and explore ideas. And, and they're very they're they're there to really achieve that. Um, and I think that it's it's kind of worth talking about a few examples that have you know yeah. in the in the space of entrepreneurship, and Just Mayo. So it was called Hampton Creek, and now yes, it's yes. called Just Mayo, and now it's called Just. Um, and that company was you know a, a small startup. It was started by two friends, Josh Tetrick and Josh Balk, and. They were really looking, um, you know, at eggs and how easy would it be to replace plant-based eggs for ingredient eggs? Because, you know, we eat these muffins and we don't really care if there's, you know, animal eggs or plant-based egg. As long as it does the same thing and the muffin comes out the same, nobody cares. And there's a bunch of products like that. All the ingredient, you know, products that go into pancakes or cookies or Mm -hmm. all these kind of dining service things, even pastas. uh, and, And just decided to really look into what are the core plant ingredients that make can we what are the core ingredients sorry of an egg and can we mimic those finding you know 
plant components that would do the exact same thing as an egg would do. And I feel like it was it was the first company in this space that really made headway and really challenged the animal agriculture industry in a big way. And it, it, it really carved out a space for everyone else to do the same and to show that this can be successful. And they were very successful. They're like known as a unicorn, meaning they became a billion dollar company in under five years. Mm. And um, and they went on to do many, they're going on to do many other things. So not only are they, they did the mayo, that was their kind of, uh, first product, but now they're doing cookie dough and pancake mix and, you know, cake mix. Right. Um, but really exciting is now they're using the money, their kind of money that they've invested, that, that they've, um, getting profit from profit share and they're reinvesting it in what's called clean meat. So clean meat is where, uh, you take cells from an animal and then you create the entire, you replicate the entire hamburger or sausage, but you do it entirely in a lab and an animal is never slaughtered. And, they're really carving out uh, success around that. And there's a number of other companies that are doing that as well, including Memphis Meat. And so this is where, it, this is a game changer. Yes. So if we can uh, move away from, you know, some people will say, I'm only going to ever eat a hamburger if it comes from an animal. And if we say, well, there's not enough land, there really isn't. So you can't. And they go, well, I'm going to do it anyway until we run ourselves into the ground. And you go, actually, I have this other burger. It's not it's it's still made from animals, but the animal wasn't slaughtered. It's made in a brewery kind of thing. Um, and they go, okay, I'll do that um, because it's still animal cells. So I'll eat it. And that's... <laughs> it's got blood. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's really, I mean, we are headed to that. And I think, um, so there's a great company called Memphis Meats, same kind of thing, a startup, um, a cardiologist named Uma Valetti decided to, you know, quit his job and begin uh, doing this startup, which is, again, uh, this is solely focused on clean meat. So really trying to create um, a, a replica of, or, you know, an exact replica of animal products through cellular agriculture, through clean right. meat. Right. And um, that company has been very successful in the sense that it has major investors like Richard Branson and Bill Gates and Tyson. So Tyson has, and Cargill, so two major meat companies yeah. are in this product. And because they think, you know, this is, this is important. This is something where I can see us. And this is why I said, so Tom Hayes, who is this, the CEO of Tyson for a while until very recently, he was the one who said, I don't want us to have a Kodak moment. And so if these things are happening around us in yes. this space, we're in, we're not going to let it displace us. We're going to be part of the displacement. We're going to lead the displacement and the disruption. They don't want to be disrupted by these industries, and so they're starting to invest. So you see, for entrepreneurs, there's a huge amount of I mean, investment happening in this area. So all of the... Uh, investors are looking for the next just the next unicorn where they can just you know figure out a company that's got an idea and they can invest in that um, and you know some of them will fail and that's okay mm -hmm. but many of them will succeed and with a, a growth rate that we're experiencing right now with the plant-based market you know there's a, there's a lot to gain for investors for entrepreneurs and for consumers and you know the planet of course yeah absolutely uh, it's such a such a uh, i guess exciting uh, time um i i love to see the shift um that's taking place and now see like i did not know tyson invested in a company a company like memphis meat and that just gets me all ramped up because i can see the change and i love um how you're using the term kodak moment because uh that's a really important story it's a 
like a pivotal story for people to understand mm-hmm. that you've got to lean into the trends of what's going on. What's the public demand, right? And mm-hmm. obviously this is about efficiency and doing what's good and what people are going to uh, get the best experience from. So I love hearing those things. And do you know if Memphis meat or this clean meat concept, is that is there anything like that available yet? Or is that still just being like worked out? So it's not approved yet by the FDA or USDA, and there's a kind of uh, discussion going on about that, and it has to go through those that process first for it to be commercially available, but we are very close. So mm. if you ask the heads of these companies, there's a the last time I checked, there were about 24 clean meat companies in the world right wow, now. There are? Wow. Yes, there are. <laughs> okay. I didn't there know are. There's a ton, and they're coming up new all the time. That's how exciting this space is. Yeah. Um, they're in Israel. Is There's a pocket of them in Israel, in the Netherlands, uh, where the concept really was first emer- had for, kind of first started to emerge. Uh, and then really in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's a ton of them. So. Interesting. They're, they're coming up around um, fish is a big new area. So there's a company called Finless Foods. Um, there's a company called Mission Barn. There's there's just a, um, there's one called Super Meat. There's in Israel a, that a German poultry company invested in similar concept to Tyson. Um, I, I I really feel like this is we're on the cusp of major revolution, our protein a protein revolution right. uh, through this and uh, this this process. Well, if clean meat can taste anywhere near as good as the standard burger to appease everybody, I mean, I could see companies like McDonald's replacing factory farms with something like this. Well, there's no reason it shouldn't. It's they're literally breaking down. What are the amino acids? Like they're it's they're sorry. They're not even breaking it down. They're just taking the same cells. And instead of growing the entire chicken, the feathers and all the other organs and like all the land and the time and what they're just growing what you need, which are just the cells to make the breasts. I would say then that there's going to be a huge overhead cost savings for these companies, right? It's like no more farms. You don't have to pay all that stuff goes away. Now you just need to just like a manufacturing plant. You just produce this stuff. Boom. Exactly. And no land, no water. It's very, very efficient. I mean, I think that most people like Richard Branson or Bill Gates are investing in this because it's a no-brainer. If we can just crack the technology, which, you know, human beings are great innovators. We might be great destroyers, but we're also <laughs> incredible innovators. And I have so much faith in our innovation. Uh, and I, well, I know we're going to crack this. Well, I always say, you know, like our technology continues to evolve rapidly and everybody kind of wants to lean on technology to save us. But I think the other part of it, too, is that us as people has to continue to evolve evolve as well consciously and we have to start seeing and i think that's part of what's happening but it's slower (laughs) it is and i think we mercy for animals has a really big social impact section where we're really trying to reach out to um to everyone across every platform and talk to them about why we need this so you know the creating a more compassionate world is critical on every level. Uh, and it's critical for saving our planet for critical for our health. Uh, it's just the kind of world we should want to live in. And the good thing about this world we're envisaging a plant-based world is we can have both. We can have successful businesses and a compassionate world. And that to me is a wonderful idea. 
and you see it happening. It's slowly evolving. People are changing. That doesn't mean there's not old stories that are still riddling some of the, the older generations. But every younger generation from, you know, millennial to Generation Z are more in line with value-based work, right? Value-driven work and, and pushing these positive causes, getting a little bit more innovative and progressive. And it's really, it is exciting. I think as time goes, it's going to continue to push more and more and more. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you is two things, actually. One, you know, I think a lot of people might be getting scared, not scared, but kind of like, oh, well, I can't work. I don't work in a lab. I don't know how to do science. I can't create food out of nothing. So, I mean, where does that leave the entrepreneur that, you know, isn't in that kind of scientific space? I mean, was Josh, um, how do you pronounce his last name again? Tetrick. Like, was he actually in a lab did he know how to do these no. things okay no. so so it's been done without no. that experience oh my gosh no like i mean josh is incredibly a uh, smart person and he has taken a lot of he's a risk taker and he's a a person who had a business idea with his friend josh balk and i, I think that goes i mean you don't most of these companies that are being start started up by um people are not scientists at all. They find scientists. Right. That's what they do. They find the skills, but they are the people who are starting up these companies are just people who are willing to take risks, to work hard, maybe to have a really hard first year and learn a lot and have a high, you know, a very steep learning curve. Like any entrepreneur in any industry, you have an idea and then you figure it out as you go and you hire the people and you surround yourself with the people who have the skills and you need all kinds of skills to run a business, right? So even in a company like Memphis Meats or Just or Finless Foods, you need HR people, you need operational people, you need sales people, yes. you need receptionists, you need, you know, designers and marketers, you need, it's a business at yeah, the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And there's an ability to kind of come together with all the skill sets that you might use in any other company like Coca-Cola or Walmart or wherever you work, you know, Deloitte, I don't, wherever you work. You have skills that will apply to building a business, but you could apply it to a business that's doing a lot of good and going to change the path of the planet. And that's, to me, the kind of life I want to live and why I've always chosen this work. Yeah. Um, and I think if everybody, you know, could get, use those skills they've gained and, and realign them in that way, we'd be in a much better place in terms of our, our future. Yeah, yeah, it's a recalibration. I mean, no matter what your skills are, you can find a way to leverage them almost in any space. You just have to get a little bit creative. And uh, one of the things I always did is I volunteered at different places just to kind of feel out the space and see how I like the work. Is it something I want to continue the rest of my life? It, that's if you're not sure, right? So right. there's ways to get involved. Does Mercy for Animals take volunteers or interns? Oh, yes. or Okay, so guys, I mean, listen, you want to get educated, meet people, network. Like, that's a great way to do it. Get involved. Talk yeah. to the people who are on the front lines. We have a great volunteer program. So if you go onto our website at mercyforanimals.org, you can find Get Involved, and there's different ways, interning um, and also volunteering. And I think there's just, it's a great way to check us out and understand the kind of world we're trying to create and be a part of it and meet other people who also care about it from all you know walks of life, too. Mm. So people who are professionals in other things and they just want to spend some time. They don't want to totally realign their career, but they just want to help us out and however they can. 
Yep. And sometimes it starts there. Maybe they don't yet want to realign their career, but they just might after. Mm-hmm. That is right. That's right. hundred um, percent. And I got to tell you, when you're waking up every day and dedicating every waking hour to something that's really important to you, like it aligns to your values and there, you can't go back. You can't go back to some nine to five that just isn't fulfilling those needs. Um, so either align it to something that a company that's already off the ground, like Mercy for Animals, do work there, align to your values, or start something that's important to yourself. But either way, you can't beat it. You've got to, that, that, that difference is, it, it, it makes either difference of you being happy every day, really. It really does. I, I mean, I, I, people will say, how are you doing? I said, that's great. I get to work up, I wake up every day and help farmed animals. Yeah. There's just, it's a great, it's a great day every day because of that. And I think, um, if you can figure out, I always say to people find, you know, there are so many problems in the world, just find the thing that speaks to you. And then, you know, that's calling to you and just put yourself into that and you'll be happy. You know, you'll, you'll find your motivate motivation every day and you'll be able to feel good no matter how hard the work is or what's going on in your personal life. Having that as your anchor will really guide you uh, towards happiness in your life. It does. It does. I think this is a good note for us to start closing out on. Um, and I want to be respectful of your time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, these things are all great points. Love what you guys are doing at Mercy for Animals. Um, and this is what inspired Change Creator, too. I mean, I, I, you know, when you start as an entrepreneur, you're kind of like, I like, I want to help in all these different areas, but I don't know where to dedicate my time. I, my whole background's in media and business. So I was like, well, if I want to help the animal industry, then I'm going to create a media company like this where I could spotlight Mercy for Animals. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly the vision. That's, you know, what I'm doing, right? (laughs) And we are so grateful. Thank you. (laughs) It's exciting. I love talking to you guys and um, excited about the magazine coming out on November 15th, where we're going to highlight Mercy for Animals. So guys, keep an eye out for that. And I want you to give a shout. I know you mentioned it already, but just so people know, they find you at uh, uh, mercyforanimals.org, correct? Correct. Yep. Check us out there. We always have uh, fun things going on and interesting articles and ways you can get involved. And follow them on Facebook because that's where I see a lot of your stuff. Um, And guys, you got to just open your mind to some of these new things. So big market, big opportunity. This is a don't have a Kodak moment yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, I really appreciate your time, Leah, and we will be in touch. Likewise. Thank you so much and keep up the wonderful work. All right. Thank you very much. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game available now on iTunes and Google play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the change creator podcast. Yeah.